Well, we happen to be in the heart of the shining, brilliant diamond of Romans chapter 8. One of all the grandest of all the doctrines. This section that we're in right now has given so much uh, encouragement and assurance to the saints down through the ages of the church. Uh, we just want to kind of camp here for a little while. I hope you guys will excuse me. I know I have seemed like I have slowed down quite considerably as we have been in Romans 8, and especially in this section from 28 through 30. Uh, I probably have to admit, this may be my favorite section of all the Bible right here. And, yeah, you've heard that. <laughs> But I'll tell you, it. I bask in it. We bask. I know I'm basically on one word today. And you're going to say, are you going to, you going to speed this up a little bit? <laughs> you know, time is getting short. The Lord may come back and we won't even get through Romans. And you know what I say? Fantastic glory to God. At the same time, this is such a grand, great theology here. Uh, this is called the golden chain of redemption, and there's five links in this chain, and it describes fully how we become saved. And you'll notice where it all starts. It starts before the foundation of the world. It starts right there in 28, 29. You see, it, it's foreknowledge. It's God's foreknowledge. It didn't start with us, did it? And it is about God. It is about purpose of God. It's about His will to save an elect group out of a massive group of sinners. A particular people that He wants. He gives them to His Son so that His Son would be preeminent among these brilliant, radiating, glorious saints who will be just like Him and give Him the ultimate glory forever. And that's what we talked about last week. Uh, and again, I kind of took a half a verse there. And we have to think about God in eternity past and those divine counsels and picking a bride and picking individuals that would be that bride. And there was this foreknowledge that was a distinguishing, saving love that He had and put upon us. He determined in His heart upon His electing love upon His people. Then the word predestined, which means to mark out the boundaries, to, to pre-do it. Predestined is that it's before. Uh, it's out of head against you, or out of head in the journey that is extending way out all the way to the horizon. And it means the destination has been determined. It's already been determined and that destiny is, of course, being like Christ. He marked out our final destiny. Uh, not only that He would love us, but He has a destiny and it was to be just like His Son. To glorify Him for eternity. And so we've seen those who He foreknew, 
He predestined, and then we looked at last week about being like Christ. He now calls into fellowship with His Son. Which in time, it actually has happened. For you all that are here, you're saved. That's what happened. And He called you, and you answered. We were going astray. We were ungodly sinners. We hated Him. We didn't want any part of God, really. So I don't remember that. Well, it was because you were a sinner. Sinners don't. Before they trust God, they don't want Him. God had to call us out of the world and call us out of our sin. And He calls us to a relationship with His Son. That's what He's always had in mind. So this is how far we've gotten already in this text here, in this golden chain. From eternity past, now, all the way up into time, where you have called and justified. And then we will go into eternity future, which is glorified. We'll probably do justified and glorified next week, and uh, that will be speeding it up. And then we have what really this whole chapter is about, and every word here is pointing to it, and it's about eternal security. Romans 8 lends more to eternal security, I think, than any other chapter in all the Bible. It is loaded. It is packed. It's just constantly dealing with the eternal security that we have. And we, because we see that it started before we were ever here. I can't keep it. I didn't start it. I can't keep it. And I can't keep it for eternity. And it goes all the way into the eternal ages. You see why these verses are so important? from eternity past to eternity future, packed in in a couple of verses. Wow, only God could do that. And uh, so here we are in present time. We've been called. We have been justified. We are being sanctified. And I want to tell you, if this doesn't encourage us and give us great hope, I don't know what else will. This is assurance and security. The doctrine of the security is so vital, so important. And so this chapter has more about it than anywhere you can go. We have been predestined in eternity past and then called in time. It calls us into the kingdom. Carolyn was singing this morning. She says, what is it about today? And I said, it's the call. And she said, oh, I wonder what songs we are doing. Then she started singing the Getty song, Hear the Call of the Kingdom. I go, oh, I wished I had had that planned. Oh, that would have been good. So maybe I'll have to do it next week. But anyway, that goes along with it. Hear the Call of the Kingdom. So let's get to that third link in this five-link chain. Let's stand, turn to Romans 8, verse 28. Let's honor God's Word as we read it. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, 
so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. Here we go, we pick it back up. And these whom He predestined, He also called. And these whom He called, He also justified. And these whom He justified, He also glorified. Dearly Father, what a precious passage that we're in. It is beyond our human minds to really understand all of this. And I know that's why there's an errant theology today that would rather say that we chose you because we were smart enough to do it. And Lord, it has nothing to do with our works, our intelligence. It doesn't really have anything to do with us. For if it would, I would not be secure because if I did it, I could also lose it. But I know you've done it all. And I'm secure in you. Any believer is secure perfectly in you from here through all the way through eternity. Lord, that means so much. Thank you for this section you've given us to be able to ponder upon and eat and taste, chew, all for your glory. Amen. Let's have a feast. Let's feast on the Word of God. Is there anything better to do during the week? I ask you, can you think of anything better than this? If you do, let me know and I'll go with you and find what that is. I'm ready to go. There is nothing more important. Why would we choose anything, something that's less than this? This is it. This is the suitum bonum, folks. And to get into this text, I can't be more joyful. How could I be more joyful than this? Number one is the author of the call. Who's the, who's the one calling? Well, that's obvious. Before we were ever born, God determined that He would call us. Has that happened to you? Do you know of a time when He called you? If He hasn't called you, you're not a believer and you are in your sins and you're dead in your transgressions and you're on your way to hell. You should desire that call. And if you hear the call, pay attention to it and heed to it. He foreknew, He predestined, and He has now called. It is all God in this, not us. Not us. The reason the call is effective, it's very effective. It's effectual. It's God's call. Nobody else's call. It's God's. Anything that issues from the mouth of God will come true. Everything that God says, promises, whatever He brings to you, it will happen. Go to Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. Oh, beautiful passage. The power of God. 55, 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth. We've had that happen this week, haven't we? That's an amazing thing. And then it goes back up, you know, back up in the atmosphere. And these clouds that go by carry this water that comes in and gives us a couple inches, gives St. Louis seven or eight inches or whatever. And you're going, wow, why doesn't it just quit after you know a few minutes or something and it can 
continues. It's, a, it's an amazing thing, isn't it? This is science here. Yeah, it's science. It's knowledge. It comes from God. You can trust it. And making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater it all comes from God, doesn't it? So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Everything that His Word says when it goes out, when it goes out from the preacher, from the teacher, from the one witnessing about Him, it doesn't go out in vain. It is not worthless. It will accomplish. God is a God that will bring all of His work into completion. We can't do that in anything. No matter what we do. We start things and we don't finish them. Or we start and we get halfway finished or whatever, right? Listen, He's the author. He called. If He calls, He's going to get it done. Secondly, who is God calling? Well, as we stated in verse 29, we saw two words. They are foreknew and predestined. And in time He has come and He has called us. Throughout the ages, this is the way that God has always worked in His salvation. Old Testament, New Testament. All the way from Adam, all the way to where we're at now. That's the way that God has worked in His salvation. All whom He has ordained for salvation will hear the call and better yet, respond to that call. A lot of people hear the call and they think they respond, but they don't really because they see eventually what that call really is about and they don't want that. So who is it to? It's to the foreknown and the predestined and that's who He calls. If you back up here and you read it backwards, those whom He called, He pre had predestined. And those whom He predestined, He had foreknown. Works that way too, doesn't it? Number three. Here's the nature of the call. The word in the Greek is very close to our English. It's kaleo. It means to call. Kaleo. Uh, here's one for you. Kaleo. Klesia. Ekklesia. Anybody heard of that? It is the church. Or better yet, that means literally the called out ones. You see, ek is like exit. Ek is out. Klesia. Kaleo is called. That's how the church got its name church or the meaning of it. The church really means the called out ones. Does that mean a lot to you? You were called out of your sin. You were called out of the mass of sinners to be brought into His family. The nature of the call is the call means to utter a loud voice, literally. 
It's to summon somebody to somewhere. It's to summon someone to come to you to call them. The call is where God invades time and calls His predestined. This is the application to the individuals. God in His plan has already set this forth. But somewhere in time, it is application time, He calls them. And there we are. We, we exist. Sometime in our existence, He comes along at the perfect time and He calls you. That's what happened to us. And you know what? It's called an irresistible call. And uh, you think of irresistible grace, the tulip, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement. The I is irresistible grace. He could call you for a long time in a general call, but there's a specific call for you inwardly if He is yours. And you know what? That is, this time you uh, do not resist it. It's irresistible. You like that term? Irresistible grace. Anyway, that's what happened. And it's for for specific people. He starts the process that's into time. He passes into time. starts the process. It goes to those individuals... He calls specifically us from our sin to faith in Christ. And then we're justified because He has given us repentance and faith. And we are kept in Christ until our final glorification. We're even kept then. Effectual calling is what that is called. We'll get into that moment. Uh, But this is a key point in the golden chain of five links. Effectual call. The way that God calls is through the sowing of the seed. We are all called to go out and sow the seed. Tell them the good news. What's the gospel? It's simple as this. God is holy. Start with God. God is holy. He's perfect. Uh, Mankind is not. Mankind is the opposite. Sinful doesn't even want God uh, and so therefore he does not live for God and he has a need for God but he doesn't know it. And then the good news finally is the fact that if he's calling you to come to him you can have your sins taken away forever and be, be made a part of the family of God. He is, You are the elect one, and now He's calling you. He does it by the preacher. He does it by the teacher. He does it by evangelist. He does it by anybody in the church who take the Gospel out. He does it by maybe putting a Bible in somebody's hand and they read it. And they pray to God, take me out of my sin and bring me to You. I am helpless. I need You desperately. Or by reading a book. Take up and read. And Augustine uh, lived a very fleshly life. A wicked life that he had led. And then these kids are playing this game and uh, they say this word in the Latin And he actually takes up uh, the Bible and he reads 
this that condemned him and convicted of his sin and that it was now time to trust in the Lord. And so he did. He read that. That's the nature of the call, the kalel. There's a voice. It's silent. That voice speaks to us though. And it's the word that goes out for people to hear that call. It's part of the Word of God. Now we go into the two calls in the Bible. And this may sound familiar over time. We've said it many times and we've already said it in verse 28 that the word call is involved in there. To those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And we went over this. I'll go into it a little bit deeper. There's a general call and then there is a specific call. The general call is external. It's not an inward call, but it is external. It's a general proclamation for salvation. It's a general proclamation. It's an invitation. The invitation can go out to anybody. The seed is spread out. Sometimes the seed lands on hard ground and it never gets really planted in depth where it can grow and it swept away, right? Or it can go into the weeds and get choked. Or weeds come up and choke it, right? So that kind of seed uh, is an external seed. It's been there, but the people don't understand it. They don't get it. It means nothing to them and they go on. People get attracted, for instance. They look at it and they go, you know, throw it away or they read it and go, just going to laugh at it. People get a New Testament from somebody and they maybe read a few words and set it down. That's it. That's a general call, an external call. The sinner is actually invited to come to Jesus. All of us have had the general call. To get the specific call, you have to have a general call. And it's, so it can be one and the same or over time. It's necessary for the saved to be having this general call. But this call is an open invitation to all persons to repent and put their trust in Jesus Christ. It's a general one. Turn to Jesus. So there we have the idea of a general call. Romans 10.17 which actually is a couple of chapters over in our study in Romans. Actually, I said 17, but before that, it says in verse 9, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So it's saying that you confess and believe in your heart. That is the idea of this. That is what shows that one is a believer. That he is Lord. He's Lord over your life. He is Savior. Now go to verse 17. And we get the idea of how this happens. What is it that makes us do that? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. It comes by hearing the Word. 
The Word has to be brought forth. Whether it's somebody reading a Word to you or saying what salvation is, it's still the Word, isn't it? If it's any other thing, it's not the Word. So it may not necessarily say, what do you mean? A lot of people come to Christ without the Word of God. And I absolutely, totally disagree. That is not biblical. You will not find it anywhere. But what happened is somebody might have shared to you Jesus Christ. And you knew you had a need. There was a, there was a sin there that you recognized. You didn't know what it all meant, but you knew you needed Christ. You can say, well, I was saved without the Word. Oh, no, you weren't. Then you weren't saved at that time. You see what I'm saying? It's the Word about Christ. If it's not about Christ, if it's about something else, then you're not saved, right? It's the Word about the Messiah. And that's what the word Christ is there. It's the Mashiach. A word about Christ. Or hearing by the Word of God. I think the King James says that the Word of God, which is really the same thing, but uh, in our uh, translations, Christ is better there. Mashiach, same. Same thing, same meaning. We know what that means. Okay, that is uh, where there is a calling, isn't there? It's brought forth by the Word of God. Now let's turn to Matthew 28, which we are all familiar with. Um, right at the end of the book of Matthew, Matthew 28, Jesus is telling them about the authority that has now been given to them as the church. Jesus came up, spoke to the apostles, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I have the authority, and because of my authority, you also have authority of giving the word, uh, the word of God or to uh, open up the gates to, uh, you know, to show people can come in. They're invited says this, Go therefore and make disciples, learners of all the nations. Wherever you go, bring forth the Gospel. Right? Baptizing them. Showing people that they now are a part of the church in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them. Why do we come to church? We come here to teach. To worship and to teach. 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 We can't get enough teaching. Say, I've already, I already know it all. I've, re- I've read it all. Oh, boy, I hope you're not saying that. You say, I've read it all. I've read the Bible three or four times. I know it. I don't really need to hear it anymore because I've got it. Oh, that's sad. I would really question your salvation if you're saying that because you don't know who God is. My, why would anybody say Have you ever heard anybody say that? I sure have. I, uh, you know, people come to church and say, I'm tired of it because I don't need it. It's the same thing over and over. And so therefore, I'm going to stay at home and uh, I'm I'm saved. I'm in good shape. Gotcha. (laughs) Uh, No, I don't think you are. They need to be taught, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, the whole counsel of God, everything I've taught you. Teach them. Keep teaching. You know what happens? People forget. You can have the best of minds. They say you use 10% of your mind. Some people might go up to 11%. And they say, well, I don't forget that. Oh, yes, we do. So easily. Uh, You know, there's a lot of verses that I've known all of my life. Sometimes I go, oh my, where is that at? 
I haven't been there in a while. I forget the verse and where it's at. I kid you not. I haven't been, I need to be reminded always. Peter wrote Peter, first and second Peter, I write these things to remind you. Just in case you know it all, I just have to remind you. And just in case you uh, already know it all and are already reminded, I'm reminding you because it'll help remind me. Because I forget. <laughs> I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So there's the great commission that's given, and that's what's given to us. We are to give it out. We're to cast the seed and say, hey, uh, you know, I very rarely see anybody ever, you know, taking that seed and really, you know, growing by it. Yeah, that's the way it usually goes. It's up to God after you put the seed out there. It's up to Him to save them. Uh, he'll honor that. Say, well, I'm not even so sure I give out the Gospel very clear sometimes. I don't even understand. You know what? The Holy Spirit can take care of that. Uh, and so, you know what? We never have to feel guilty because we didn't happen to say it right to somebody or some people we never ever really even got to. We say, oh, I should have talked to them about that. Well, probably should have, but... Same time, if they've already been foreknown, guess what? God will use somebody else, <laughs> and they'll be saved anyway. Uh, that's the idea. Anyway, the the apostles were given that. Now we're talking about an external call. What about Jesus? Did he give the external call, a general call to people? Yes, he did. And it was and is for everyone. Now, I'm not saying that everyone's going to be saved. I'm not talking about universal salvation. I'm saying that it is to be cast out. I, uh, every spring or fall, I try to do fertilizer, and I have a, it's a caster, you know, and it, so I just roll along, it just takes it on out there, and I wind up even fertilizing it too much, and I have dead spots all over the yard, or uh, it never does turn green like I thought it should, you know. But I'm putting it out there, and in some places you'll see just as green as could be. And uh, I guess that that's the chosen grass. <laughs> I, I didn't choose it, but I chose them all. But they don't all come out the way that I wanted. But anyway, I spread it out. Uh, I will tell you that the general call comes from the pulpit in Christian churches all across the world. Where it should come from. Not only that... Bible studies it should come from people going out everywhere as you go, whether it be at work or wherever it be, you walk in the park, you run into somebody, you start talking to them, and then you start talking about the Lord, or you're on an airplane and you're flying, and you got a person just sitting right next to you, and uh, they want to talk, and oh, you go, okay, I've got something to talk about. Just wait till you hear this. <laughs> We have the best plan that you could ever hear. Anyway, um, the difficulty with the external call, though, is this. Even though it is out there and it's inviting people to be saved, the problem is that it not only it's universal, that's good, but it is not specific to the ones who have been foreknown. God takes care of that, we'll never know. I've often said many times, Charles Spurgeon mentioned that, you know, um, we don't know 
who the elect are, so we just take it out to anybody and everybody. Uh, he says that it's not like you can take back their jacket and they have the letter E on there for the elect. <laughs> we don't know, right? So we call even the elect and we find out, oh, they're a believer, you know, and so we can move on with that, but uh, uh, they might be. There are people who are elect and are not saved yet. And those are the ones who will come to Christ. It might be by our sharing, or it might be by somebody else down the road. And they might get all the credit for you and say, yeah, but I, I brought it to them first. <laughs> uh, it, well, God used that. Somewhere along the line, there's the effectual call. Now, people don't naturally wish to respond. You can come to Christ if you wish. But here's the catch. If they're not His, they're not going to be wishing. They don't want to come to Christ. If we give them the true Gospel, they're not going to want to follow that kind of nonsense. Um, there was a feast parable that Jesus spoke about. And there was a man who prepared a great feast. He had it all ready and he told his servants to go out and invite people to come there. And they were going to be from everywhere. And one man says, Ooh, you know, kind of like to, but uh, I just bought a piece of land and i got to go see it. Another guy bought, like, oxen. And he says, Hey, we've got a great feast. Why don't you come to this? And the guy at the oxen says, uh, You know, i, I got to go test them out and see how they work. And so he goes down further down the road and there's a guy that he runs into and the guy says, oh, well, I just got married and I can't do that right now. Uh, all these people are called to this feast, but they rejected the call. They didn't want it because in their minds they had something better to do. People always have something better to do. Unless, but we're still working on this external call. Uh, people make excuses. You ever notice that? People make excuses for what they know that there's something being offered. You know, in John 3.19, it says, Light came into the world, that's Jesus, but men love the darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Uh, they are evil. That is their nature. Romans 3 says that no one understands. No one calls upon God because they don't have a desire. They will not come because they cannot come. Unless. So you see... If you so wish, you can come to Christ. That's okay to say. But if it's not their wish, they're not going to. And it's really what they're desiring, they will come to Christ. Uh, I'm glad that we are the ones that are not responsible for bringing people into Christ or not bringing them into Christ. May or Matthew 22:14. I was going to say May 22:14. Okay, abbreviations that get me every time. 22:14. What do we have here? 
We're talking about Jesus and His invitation. Many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called. This is this external general call right there. But few are chosen. And that would be the ones back to foreknowledge, all the way back to predestination, election, that kind of thing. Uh, Few are chosen. Few there be that find it, it says in Matthew 7. I think Matthew realized that there are going to be a lot of people throughout history that don't follow Christ. Matter of fact, it seems that there's going to be more that reject Him that come to Him. Matthew says that. Look in 11.28. This is about what Jesus says. Come to Me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Has everybody ever heard that one before? We all have. That is an invitation. And what? where is he throwing the seed at? Everywhere. To everybody that's there, He brings the invitation to them. That's what the idea is. There are branches of Calvinism which, you know, uh, I'm a Calvinist. I believe in predestination. And we see that it's biblical. It's okay. It's a good thing. But there are hyper-Calvinists that say we are not to ever give them this external call. We need to go to people really, uh, to the ones who really are who? Anyway, I don't really understand that, but uh, the inv- and the, and they will also say that God doesn't love them. Well, there's a couple of different kinds of love: a love that you have for your family. There's also a general love. We are to love our enemies. How do I get that love to love my enemy? Well, it has to come from God. So therefore, He has to love them. At the same time, He hates the wicked sinner because they're evil. But the thing is, he might have—he already has a plan to save some of those too, doesn't he? But that's a perfect hatred. It's not the man kind of hatred. It's because they are unholy, and he is not amongst the unholy. Right here, he's calling to everybody, come to me. This is the gentle Jesus that we all know and love. All who are weary, heavy laden, come to me, sinner. Come, I've got good news for you. I'll take the burden from you. I'll put it on me. That was his call, wasn't it? That is a general call. It's an invitation. Did they all come to him? No, not even Jesus could intellectually talk them into coming to Christ and following him. Because you know why? Most of Israel rejected Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, you can say Israel put Him on the cross. There were very few considering how many were in the upper room praying before 
the Holy Spirit came. 120. Now, am I saying that was the only believers? Not necessarily. But I'm saying that there were a few numbers. There were many that he healed and such. Did all those people, because they were healed, become Christians? Not necessarily. Um, but he, he, he did things. He said things. But that didn't mean people were going to come to him. If all, you know, It's like if he can't do that, and he could if he had foreknown them, and predestined them, and he could well have done that and saved everybody. But he didn't. Why didn't he? Now we're getting to the things of God that we can't really know. I can say what he did do is amazing because the reason I really say that is because every one of us should be on our way to hell and there's nothing that's going to stop that. You see... Isn't it great? Isn't it amazing that He would choose anybody? And then you start realizing He chose me for no reason in myself. Staggering, isn't it? To the human race, He's actually going to save some and then He's going to bring them to the point where they are just like Christ. Only God could do that. That's amazing. What a call it is, but most people don't want it. But he has this call, doesn't he? John 7, 37 and 38. This is what Jesus did. He invited people to him, and not all responded. Most didn't. They turned on him that very last week and followed whatever the political favorite political status was for the day, even people who knew better, just like our day, all of a sudden they start following the craziest things that the government tells them to do, and things that don't even make a bit of sense, that will actually kill people, or harm them in doing those, and they'll go right along with it and thinking it's the thing to do. Now the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, boy this is a call, and this is a crying out where everybody hears it. And He said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to Me and drink. There's the invitation. Who's it open to? Everyone. He who believes in Me, as the Scripture said, from His innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this He spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were to receive. (coughs) For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Certain people the Holy Spirit would come to. Go to Acts 17. Now, it's dealing with Jesus, but look at this. You might hear somebody say, well, you know what, I, uh, I don't think He ever called me. He never elected me. Think anybody can really say that? Here, here's why people are responsible. You say, well, they were not chosen. That's for not for you to try to figure out with your bird mind. Little little bird mind is trying to figure things out. That's God. Here's what He says in verse 30 of 17 of Acts. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men. That, oh, and women, okay. That all people everywhere should repent. 
So therefore, anybody that says, well, you know, what can I do? God never chose me. So I can't do anything about it. Or people will say, why even pray? Or why even take the Gospel out? God's going to save them. No, He has a means to save them. Who does He use? Us. To take His Word. And He he tells them to do what? Tells them to say this. Repent. What did Jesus and John the Baptist say? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn from your wicked ways and turn to Jesus Christ. So Acts 17 says that. And then it talks about judgment. Uh, If you don't repent, then you will be judged to Christ. Anyway, that's uh, the idea. If people heed to the outward call and join a church, but there is not an inward call and they really don't have a change in their life and they get excited at first and go the first few weeks and then they go back or they go to church less and less. That's an outward thing. That's that's an outward call that they have. And there is a thing called the visible church where it takes in everybody that are believers and unbelievers. A lot of unbelievers that go to church. We know those. I mean, we don't know who they are, but they're ones who really their lives never change. They're not really truly of Christ. We don't know who they are. Uh, Jesus talked about uh, those kind of people that will be put in, and it's like the wheat and the tares. There's always going to be wheat growing up along with uh, the tares. The tares are the ones that are not real. You don't know at first if they're real or not. But eventually, Christ always does. So that's that's the idea. But what they are, they're in a visible church. But there is an invisible church. What's that? We're all visible here in the sense, but the invisible are the true people of Christ. The ones who have been chosen by God, who have been called by God, and they responded to the call. That's the invisible. That's the church that we don't see all throughout Jeff City, all throughout the rest of the world. There is an invisible church. That's the ones who are true believers, even though in in a meeting, in a church building, there can be people that believers, hopefully most of them are, but there are unbelievers that are there. Well, good, maybe they can learn who Christ is and become a believer. And I've heard where deacons became saved. I've heard where pastors became saved when they found out what the Word of God was really saying. Right? So they were in the church for a long time. And they became saved. And they had an effectual call at that time, I would say. So now what is the effectual call? The first call is ineffective. It's good. It's right to do. We're supposed to do it. We should be obedient in doing that. But the external call, general call in itself, is ineffective. It does not convert the sinner. The effectual call is effectual or effective. How much? 75% of the time? 80%? 90%? That'd be pretty good, wouldn't it? It's 100%. It's for real. Always. It's internal. The other is external. 
It's specific in that it's going to one specific person. God knows the name. And it's entirely effectual. The call that penetrates into the human heart. It apprehends the heart. Stephen Lawson says, it arrests the soul and draws the sinner to faith in Christ. Those whom God calls not only hear God's call, but they actually respond to it, realizing who they were and who they are now and who Christ is and desiring Him. Now we come to the very last point. It's the effectual calling and we're going to go through a lot of Scriptures. Uh, And I'm only going to do this out of the New Testament due to lack of time. Uh, There is one obvious Old Testament call. Abraham would be one. He was called as a pagan. He was a pagan. He did not know God. God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees to a place that he knew not. And he went because God called him. And God told him to go. He obeyed God. And he didn't even know where he was going. And later we see that he was he believed God and he was credited with righteousness of God. That just verified his faith. He showed it later on in his life by almost sacrificing his son Isaac. And then God showed a lesson there. It would be Christ that He really needed. He was the Lamb of God. So that was an effectual call that He did to a pagan, worshiping pagan gods. And God called him right there on the spot. And that was it for Abraham as a pagan. Now, I don't know how quick we're going to do this. We are going to be doing a jet tour through the New Testament, and it's going to be looking at this thread that he has. Now, I listened to um, Stephen Lawson's Bible study that he had with a few men, and I looked on there, and I think, I don't know, it was like two hours or something, and I was checking it out a Friday night, and I go, I wonder what Steve Lawson has to say about this. So I'll go on there, you know, and... Um, it was on, started with foreknowledge and predestination. And I go, okay, uh, he'll probably spend most of his time on that. Well, actually, he did about half an hour. And then about a, at the half an hour, he took on the call. Go, oh, this is good. I like this. And as he was with the men, he, he started saying, he says, we're going to go through the New Testament. And we're going to look at as many passages as we can dealing with the call. Well, I've, I've seen call in there a lot. But it really struck me, oh my, I've got to do all of these with, with you guys. And like I say, if you got your outline, you have a lot of Scripture there. I mean, when it dawns on you, like as I'm going, all those people who do not believe in the doctrine of election, which is most of the church today, do not believe in this kind of call in election. This is it's called the effectual call. And most of them we're not going to call it. This is the irresistible call. The effectual call. And it will happen. 
And you know, some people say, well, I went in kicking and screaming. I don't think we do that. I think C.S. Lewis said that, and uh, you know, R.C. Sproul always kind of addressed that in that sense. I think he, he would say, in a sense, he did, but actually, he didn't. Because what happens is the Holy Spirit woos us. We're going to be the bride. So that's what he would do. He's not going to come in there and force you to be that way against your will. Thing is, your will is going to be intervened into. It's going to be interrupted. Thank you, Lord, for interrupting my will, my free will. That's so important to me because if I would stay with my free will, I would just be on my way to hell. So here we go. The deal with the call, the effectual call, we're going to go into what I think is just exciting. John 6.44, here we go. I'm going to be speaking fast. We're going to be reading fast. You've got the verses there, and you say, well, I've never heard that one before. Well, you've got it uh, on your outline, and uh, look at it later, too, as if we're too fast. Uh, I, I don't have 6.37, but I do want to start with that. All that the Father gives me. All that the Father gives me. And that limits who's going to be doing this action. Will come to me. It's the, Who are they? The ones that the Father gives the Son. That's going to be the bride, right? That's the, the one that He is choosing here and giving as the bride. They will come to me. The ones who hears the general call and then the effectual call, I can guarantee 100%, they will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. All those who come to Christ, I'll never cast them out. So one can say, I don't know if I'm elect or not. What well, says right here, if you come to Christ, He will not kick you out. Well, if they have that desire, they'll come. To... Where do they get the desire? Where do they? Where do they get the I do? You know, I will. Right? Or they say, yes. They do it because they are the Father anyway. And the Holy Spirit comes in, regenerates them. He gives them repentance, gives them faith, and they say, yes, I want Christ. That's how they do that. They can't do it with a dead spirit man. They are dead. They cannot respond. It says in Romans 8, they will not because they cannot. So 37. Now that qualifies us for verse 44. And I love this, John John 6. It is incredible. No one can come to me. Remember in verse 37, all the Father comes to me, will come to me. They will come to me. Who comes to me, right? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws Him. They come because they are drawn. That's how. And then I'll raise Him up on the last day. There's a guarantee of... of What does it have to do with make a decision? You make the decision because He's already put all that in you. You are regenerated before you can even say that because you are depraved. Right? Okay, about this draw, you know what it means? It means to drag. He drags us on. He brings us. He picks us up. Whatever it is, He brings us from our one state to the other. John 21, verse 
8, and I'll use the same word here. I've got to speed it up. John 21, 8. 21, 8. Here we go. What do we have? We have fishing. Anybody like to fish? Well, here you go. Peter and some of the disciples are out in the Galilee Sea. This is after the resurrection. And Peter's out there feeling bad for himself because he denied the Lord three times. And Jesus is there, you know, and Peter's and those guys, they're not getting any fish. Jesus is over there on the beach fixing the fish for them for when they come in and watch this. But the other disciples came in the little boat for they were not far from the land but about 100 yards away dragging the net full of fish. All of a sudden they had a great catch. That's a miraculous catch. How many were in there? 153, I believe, right? You know what it says? 153 fish. A great number of fish. Wow, 153 in that net. They dragged that net. They brought them on in. Where'd they go fishing? Drag them in. Uh, Acts 16.19 After John is Acts, right? Did I say 16.19? But when our master saw their hope of profit was gone, it's that uh, demon-filled lady, uh, spirit of divination and such. She saw, uh, but when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they made money off of her. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. That this is effectual, folks. <laughs> they make it happen. That's the idea to make it happen. How about uh, 17 verse 6? Again, the word dragged. When they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting. They dragged them. They forced them. They brought them on in. They made it happen. Chapter uh, chapter 8, verse 3 of Acts. How about, how about this dragging? What is going on here? Saul began ravaging the church before he was a Christian, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Dragging him. He brings them in. Chapter 21, verse 30. Then all the city was provoked, and the people rushed together and taking hold of Paul. You see, people don't like the Gospel. What do they do? They drag them away. <laughs> God drags them into the kingdom or else the government authority is going to drag you out of there. They're going to drag them into prison or whatever and persecute. Paul, they dragged him out of the temple and immediately the doors were shut. The gospel is being preached and they just drag them out. Well, we see the meaning of drag. Well, God is going to drag the ones that were chosen. That means He's going to make them be into the kingdom. He's going to woo them by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Okay, there's the idea of draw, right? Okay, now John 10. Oh, one of the loveliest chapters in the book of John is John 10. You know what it is? It's about the shepherd. The shepherd and the sheep. Oh, what a relationship a shepherd had with his sheep. He would know them. Call them by name. John 10, verse 3. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. 
as he calls, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. You see, the shepherd actually would have a name for each of his sheep, and they would know it, and they would come to him. They wouldn't be going after another shepherd that would be calling. They only would go after what their shepherd, their shepherd would call, and they would follow. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? That's the way it is today. They have a particular name, a call for them, and they will come to them because they know their master. Shepherd. Don't you like that? Verse 4, When He puts forth all His own, He goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow Him because they know His voice. The sheep know His voice. They know Him. We know Christ. We follow Him because we know His voice. We don't follow any other shepherds, do we? We follow Him. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my own. And my own know me. Who are his own? Are they just anybody? No, are they the ones that he chose before the foundation? Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. He died for the sheep or which are individual believers. He died for the church. He died for the ecclesia. He died for the who? The called out ones. Who did He die for? The non-elect? Why would He pay for ones who do not want Him? He dies for specifically the very ones that have been chosen from before the foundation. Would He bring other people in that were not chosen beforehand and say, oh, I didn't know they were going to choose me. That defeats the whole plan of what was already been made. I came for my sheep. I know them, they know me. You see, He foreknew them. And the moment they are awakened to life, they now know Him. Beautiful, isn't it? Look at John 11, 43 and 44. You know who you have here? You have a guy by the name of Lazarus who died. It's the fourth day already. When He said these things, He cried out. Jesus cried out with a loud voice. I want to tell you, I want to do this. Lazarus! Okay, let me use the microphone. You know how many mics we have in here today? We have two sitting back there. We have two mics. In this little church, we have two mics. We have a mic there, and a mic here, and a mic there. We have at least five mics here today. You know what? This, I'm sure there were other Lazaruses, but only one person came out. No other Lazaruses or no other believers. If he would have said, come forth, all the saints of the Old Testament time period would be bursting forth out of their graves. But instead, it's this Lazarus. Lazarus knows Jesus' voice. He comes out. Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot and wrappings. He, there was no way that he could have come out by himself unless this supernatural resurrection happened and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Can you imagine him walking like that? Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. He's alive. Well, 
come forth. He came. That was an effectual call, folks, to represent what salvation's call is. Go to Romans chapter 1. That's our book that we've been in. Not doing too bad, are we? Okay. 1, 6, and 7. Among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. You're the called. In verse 7. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, called as hagios, holy ones, be ye holy for I am holy. You know what happens the moment you become saved? You become holy. Be ye holy. He will not accept you if you're not holy. That means to be set apart. We've got a long way to go in this Christian walk. We are justified. That's already happened. Sanctified, we still go through that. Romans 8 doesn't even include sanctification, but saints means that being set apart. Um, moving on, Romans chapter 11, 28 and 29. Oh, Romans 11. Oh, I love that chapter too. <laughs> 28, 29. From the standpoint of the Gospel, they, Israel, are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, God's election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts of the calling of God. Did you get that? The calling of God are irrevocable. He's saying that they're going to people who are Jews that will become Christians. And especially at the very time before Christ comes back, they will look upon Him whom they pierced and mourn for Him as an, only, as an only Son. That means there are going to be people that are Jews that will become Christians in big numbers. I don't know how many it is, but whenever the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, when Christ is ready and coming back, these people will look up and they will be saved. This is My covenant with them. When I take away their sins, I always promise them this. There are Jews even being saved today and will continue to be. It's a remnant. But at some time this will happen and he says, my calling is irrevocable. What I have promised and what I've said will come true. And there are a lot of people that have written off the Jews and said, well, they killed Christ and they blew their opportunity and God is done with them. Don't believe that for a moment, folks, because you are calling God a liar. Because His promises that He's had all the way through that Old Testament through the prophets are about Israel becoming saved. Not just us. We get to get in on that Abrahamic promise because He had faith and, and we believed in God. Just like Abraham did. That's the way these Jews will. They'll believe in Christ. Okay. 1 Corinthians 1, 1 and 2. It's the next book over. Uh, my. This word appears in here so often, doesn't it? 1 and 2, Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sothenes our brother to the church of God or the ecclesia of God, the called out ones, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. The ones who have been called, call upon the Lord. There we go. I like that. Uh, that ecclesia I really love. The, the called out ones of God. 
Corinth was, Rome was, the church at Ephesus was. They're all called of God. Called out. Chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We were called into fellowship with Christ. Do you fellowship with Him? Yeah. Yeah, you do. Verse 18, chapter 1. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And that's, a, that's an underline there. Uh, it's foolishness to the ones who are perishing. These are the people that are not going to even become believers. They're perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Of course, it takes you back all the way to Romans 1.17, the power of God. Uh, it's the Gospel. The Gospel is the power of God. Uh, justification He talks about. What does He say here? These people, it's, it's foolishness to them. That's the reason they don't heed to the call. They're perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. So He's really distinguishing between the two, isn't He? Okay, now, what we have to do is tie that verse in with verse 24. But to those, now he's saying to those who are perishing, to those who are uh, see the cross as foolishness, he speaks to those, but what, what about the ones that are being saved? He says verse 21, 4. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Uh, you got it right. 26. Here we go. For consider your calling, brethren. Think about your calling. Does this make you think about your calling today? That there were not many wise according to the flesh. There are some philosophers and wise, wise intellectual people that are called, but not many. Not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world, the sheep, that's me, to shame the wise, because otherwise they would have taken credit for it. And God has chosen the weak things of the world. That's me. To shame the things which are strong. I am weak, but He is strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The despicable is who He chooses. The things that are not so that He may nullify the things that are. They think they're so good. So that no man may boast before God. But by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. I hate to burst the human bubble, but we didn't have a thing to do with it. And that just cuts you down. And the first time I heard that, it made me mad. I'll be honest with you. Because it was like I was nobody. And you know, at the same time, I, I go, I, I know. But it still made me mad. Yeah, but I, I, I believed. Yeah. Why? 
Why did you believe? Because God did it. And then from then on, it was never looking back to that old evangelical way that they preach every Sunday. How, how do they miss all this, folks? We've just done a few words about the calling, the elect, the chosen, the predestined. It's all over the Bible. You can't miss it. You know what that tells me? They're not reading the Bible. They're not studying. They don't know what is in it. Now, am I calling them unbelievers? No, I'm not. God can call them despite the way that some people might call them in, make a decision, walk down the aisle. Is that necessarily wrong? Not really. But it can be very misleading. If I do this, God will reward me and bring me into salvation. And we now got to work salvation. We have no credit whatsoever. Galatians 1.15, it's after 2 Corinthians. Uh, boy, I slowed down. Now I'm just going to breeze through. I, I, I promise. I'm, I'm not going to do an expository work on every verse that I'm reading. Dennis, please hear that. Okay, Galatians 1.15. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son. Did you see that? Set me apart from my mother's womb and called me. Wow. Galatians 5.13 5.13 For you were called to freedom, brethren. I like that. Called to freedom. Ephesians 4. Verse 1, Therefore I, the prisoner, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And that happens a lot. You are called, so therefore walk like it. You are a believer. Quit being doing unholy acts. There's your calling to be holy. Called to be what? Saints. It's a holy calling. God is holy. He's saying you're going to be holy. Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as also you are called in one hope of your calling. Church in, in its unity. First Thessalonians chapter two, twelve. Debbie's coming back here to get on the piano to start doing just as I am because I'm taking so much time. <laughs> Debbie, is it okay if I say that? You're about to lose your voice. <laughs> Turn up the microphone. <laughs> okay. We're just about there. I'm really giving a lot of extra time because he drove all the way from St. Louis to worship with us today. I'm blame it. Blame it on blame. Hey. We're blazing. We're on fire here now, folks. We're just getting into the good stuff. First Thessalonians 2.12. We just began, guys. Uh, what we got? So that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. He calls you into His kingdom. Into His glory. Uh, chapter 4, verse 7 of Thessalonians. What does it say? For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification, to be being set apart. He called us even right here to be being set apart. Holiness, sanctification. Second Thessalonians 1.11 My voice is not going to last longer. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as also you are doing. Uh, oh, oh that, it's a good encouragement, but here's the real verse. Are you, are you ready? 
To this end also we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. Uh, the calling there again. He will count you worthy of your calling. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Have you ever seen all of these callings before? Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Eternal life. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That means you tell everybody that you're a Christian, right? You tell the church that you are. You have church membership and you say, hey, I want to be a part of you. Okay? Um, 2 Timothy 1, 8 and 9. Oh, yeah, that's right. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord over me, His prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Here we go. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace which was granted in us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Folks, it all started there. You weren't there. God was. He's always been there. Do we get that? Hebrews 3.1 I should have just stopped and said, we're going to continue on with this next week. <laughs> Boy, Dennis, one word. Are you kidding me? Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling. We're, we're called to live in heaven. That's our home. That's our real home. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. 1 Peter 2.9 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen race. A chosen race. All believers of all time are in another race. We go from the human race to the human glorified race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. He owns us. So that you may proclaim... And here's what we are to do. Here's what we will do for eternity, folks. Proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Amen. 1 Peter 2.21 For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow any steps. It's a heavenly calling, but while we're here, His purpose is that you suffer. Uh, that's, we're called to suffer, folks. <laughs> Moving on, 2 Peter 1.10. 2 Peter 1.10. I think it's our last one, guys. Verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing you. Make certain. Make certain. We're way over time. Uh, here's what I want to do. Take, take it and read backwards. The glorified is where it all ends. That's where it's all going. Are the ones that are justified. The ones that are justified 
are called. And the ones who are called are predestined. And the predestined ones are the ones that were foreknown. They're the ones, and you can say, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm elect or not. Well, have you responded to the Gospel? Have you answered God's call? That's the question that I would ask. He's got a call. The invitation's already been out. We've seen it, right? Acts 16.31 says this, and somebody might say, well, I don't think I'm in the elect, and I come right back and say this. There was the Philippian jailer. And after the jail broke loose and the miracles happened and such as those men could have gotten out, and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Let's pray. Father, great God, we have just delved into some depths that are incredibly beyond our mind, our thinking. But I do know You called us. We responded. We responded because You gave us the ability to be able to do that where we didn't have it before. Thank You, Lord, for such a high heavenly calling. I have no idea what all that means besides what I have just kind of understood in reading Your Word. It is enough for me that we believe it. Help us to know You better because that is what eternal life is. In the Son's name... We pray, Amen.